Hello, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode number 33 of X-Lapsed. Hard to believe, but now we are just about a third of the way to uh, episode 100, or I guess episode 99, uh, more accurately. But it's amazing how fast time goes when you're uh, well, when you're not paying attention, right? Today we're going to be following up with a series that kind of, in my opinion, dropped the ball a little bit with its third issue. Uh, we're going into the fourth issue of New Mutants, Volume 4. Uh, this had a February 2020 cover date. The story is called Fast and Furious, written by Ed Brisson with art by Marco Fila. Fila? Maybe. Uh, colors, Carlos Lopez, Lead is VCs, Travis Lanham, Designs, Tom Muller, Head of X is Hickman. Our edits are Bezo White Sabolski, cover price $3.99, and this one went on sale December 18th, 2019. Now we open with our roll call, and uh, yeah, as we as we've been tending to do <laughs> over the past couple of uh, episodes here, we've got armor, glob, sage, boom boom, maxim, manon, beak, angel, the other angel. Then two pages of credits, and then an info. Whoa, whoa, not an info page. We're actually going right into comics. I can't believe it. Okay, let's get into it. We open on Krakoa, and it looks as though the uh, never-ending party at Carousel is uh, well still happening. We join Boom Boom as she takes the Captain Kate role and gets all sloppy drunk. She bumps into and spills her whiskey all over Pixie, who helps her get back home. Along the way, Tabitha complains about how she did armor a solid, you know, helping get those meds, and never even got a thank you. Pixie informs her that armor hasn't made it home just yet, and that kind of, uh, you know, kind of tweaks Boom Boom's eyebrow a bit. She's... You know, wondering why they didn't get back yet. Didn't seem like it was too hard a mission. They were just going to go, cure the dude, and come back with, you know, with Beacon Angel. So, let's hop back to Nebraska, where those hicks have the bow husks and company under lockdown in the cellar. Armor is designated as the negotiator, or at least a point of contact. I guess, uh, you know, out of this gangly grip of uh, goofballs involved, she does look the most capable. I don't know. She's probably the same person who, like, the waitress at any restaurant instinctively hands the check to, even though there are, like, a dozen other people at the table. That would be a, uh, that would be something that, uh, that me and Armor share. Uh, uh, you know, we also have a very similar haircut, so there's that, too. Now, it's worth noting that all of our mutant heroes are wearing, say it with me, power-dampening collars. <sighs> Anywho, the lead hick, well, actually, they're not hicks. They're actually members of a cartel. He's about to lay out his story for Armor here. He's going to say everything he needs saying. And it's basically a screed against, you know, the greed of Big Pharma, which, I mean, do we gotta? I guess we do. 
Uh, this fella is from uh, the Central American country or republic, Costa Perdida, which I believe translates to Lost Coast. Uh, anywho, in a somewhat prescient bit of storytelling, our lead bad guy, he talks about an illness without a cure that's sweeping his nation, and how the killer disease is now referred to as the Perdita Fever, named after his little republic. Now, this sickness is caused by the republic being downstream by some... Uh, White people-owned industries which have polluted the water. We hear that something like 20,000 San Bertidans have died. Uh, many, many, many more have been sick. And there is a vaccine that was developed. However, at $1,000 per inoculation, it's not all that realistic for the, uh, for the locals. Now, the lead cartel guy, I think his name might be Tumalo. Uh, he had this uh, controversial pharma CEO dealt with which is to say he had that controversial pharma CEO killed. And in fact, we get an entire boring info page about it. Now back to comics, Tumalo has now set his sights on mutants, you know, the same mutants who are currently holding the world hostage with their miracle drugs. Now he wants a meeting with someone who can negotiate terms, you know, get, get some of this, these meds into his hands. Now Armor tells him that prof about Professor Xavier's treaty and says that, hey, you know, it's just as easy as Costa Perdita signing up, and they'll get all the meds they're going to ever need. Well, here comes the rub. Mr. Tumalo here, he doesn't want the pre his president to sign the treaty with Xavier because then the meds will be overflowing. They'll be readily available, they'll be free for everybody, and, uh, well, you see, the cartel wants to control the meds and also, you know, corner that market. So basically becoming the big pharma he claims to hate so much. Now, he gives Armor a day to think it over. You know, are you going to talk? Are you not going to talk? You sleep on it, you know? But he says that nobody's going to eat until she does. Though he suggests maybe they'll have a big old party, a fiesta even, if she makes the right decision. We jump back to Krakoa, and Boom Boom is rattling Sage's cage about, well, what she does all day, which is, uh, you know, taking attendance and whatnot. Uh, she even suggests that she ought to change her name to, uh, hey, that one page in every Dawn of X comic we look at, The Roll Call. Sage goes on to make fun of Boom Boom for changing her code name as often as her underwear, though she only lists about four, four code names, which makes me think uh, old Tabitha might not be all that fresh, uh, so maybe we just won't take that quite as literally. Anywho, they talk about Armor and the gang, and Boom Boom learns that the Nebraska Quartet have been gone for now five days. We jump back to Nebraska and back to the basement, and the collared mutants try to plan their next move. They also talk about, you know, how hungry they are. Armor's, Armor's sitting there. She looks like she's really struggling with the decision she's been asked to make. We pop back to Krakoa, and we spend an entire page watching Boom Boom step through a portal. This could have been a single panel, or we could have just assumed that she went if she showed up in Nebraska, but nope, we get a full page of her stepping through a portal. The next day, Armor reveals that she's made her decision and that she will return to Krakoa to fetch someone who can negotiate. Tumalo tells her that, in no uncertain terms, if she returns with a telepath, Wolverine, or Magneto, the children will be killed. Armor asks how the cartel knew that Beacon Angel were living on this farm, and so the man yanks out his smartphone and brings up the DOX homepage. Now, I'm guessing that DOX is some sort of Gossip Magazine? Uh, not really sure what D.O.X. stands for other than, you know, Dawn of X. But I'm sure it's something, and I'm sure we'll find out somewhere down the line. Anywho, Beak, Angel, and the Kids. They're on the cover of this D.O.X. mag with the headline, Mutants in Pilger, Pilger, Nebraska. 
So it looks like the mutants are viewed as something of celebrities in some circles here, and I'm guessing this is something we'll probably revisit as we work our way through uh, these, uh, these issues. Now, Armor is being escorted to the nearest portal, and Tumalo reminds her that, uh, hey, you know what? Everybody's lives are in your hands, so, <laughs> you know, make the right decisions, basically. We get an info page on Costa Perdita, and it's a map and a brief history. Yeah, it's there if you want it. Back to comics and back to the basement. The kids have been given what looks like bowls of gruel to eat. Looks kind of like something out of Isle of a Twist or something. Angel mentions how, due to the way she and some of her children eat, this ain't gonna work. Now you see, she's gotta yak up on the food to break it down a bit so it can be digested. And in order for her to use her mutant yakking ability, she's gonna have to be uncollared. Well, the cartelli ain't buying it, at least not at first. He does come around, however, and detaches Angel's, Angel's collar so she can, you know, make that disgusting bowl of gruel even more so. Angel spits her glowing green spit into the bowl, which nearly makes the cartellis wretch. Then, Angel spits over to Maxime and Manon's collars, dissolving them. They grab the cartelli Andre, and they use their powers of influence to have him draw on his comp- cartelli compatriot, and I think his name is Dalen. You see, I actually had to use the Marvel Wiki to confirm their names. And, you know, if I scroll down, what do you know? Nobody bothered to synopsize this one either. It's, uh, you know, only the hits will get the clicks, so why would anybody bother sinking any time into New Mutants Volume 4, Number 4, right? Just me. Uh, Glob Herman grabs Angel and Beacon the kids and shields them, just in case things go sideways, or more sideways, I guess. Uh, Manon and Magzim uh, look positively terrifying here. They're all black-eyed and gray-skinned and whatnot. Looks very, very scary, and uh, really cool, actually. Uh, now, they're controlling the two cartellis, and ultimately, they shoot each other to death. The sound of their gunshots, however, rings out, you know, and everyone outside can hear it. Armor, who still hasn't left yet, she just assumes that the cartel just took out her friends. And even Tumalo does not look happy with what might have just happened. Armor is kicked to the ground by another crew of cartellis and told to stand back up or they'll kill her. Suddenly, the cartel's hoopty tr- pickup truck goes boom, only after someone off-panel says, tick, tick, tick. Bada-bing, bada-boom-boom. And uh, we're out of here. And uh, it looks as though this story arc must continue. But next, we'll be talking about X-Force number four. But how about we talk about what we just read? Okay, right off the bat. I was kind of hoping this would be uh, the capper on this uh, weird misplaced (laughs) two-parter. I was hoping it would be a weird misplaced two-parter, but... Yeah, it looks like this bugger's going to linger for a little bit. Um, I'm now... I haven't read ahead. I haven't even flipped ahead. Um, And now I'm worrying that we're going to go, like, a full 12 issues, jumping back and forth between the Shi'ar space story and the ones on the farm, maybe, like, two at a time. But I I really hope not. I really hope not. Um, Now, this entire story felt, felt like it was trying to teach the readership that big corporations are bad being written by someone collecting a check from Disney. Eh, okay. Um, yeah, co- corporations are bad. We get it. Um, I get what they're going with here, right? I get what they're going for here. Uh, it just feels a bit too soapboxy for me to kind of roll with. Um, big big Pharma being bad feels like a pretty safe target. I mean, I think you're not going to get a lot of argument that the ph- pharmaceutical industry is wildly greedy and cares more about the bottom line than actually helping the people with the wonderful things that they create in their laboratories. Um, 
I will say that it was interesting seeing this from the point of view of a cartel, though. That much I'll hand them. Because we have our man Tumalo. He starts his screed, and he's, like, painting his people as victims and how bad the pharmaceutical companies are. But when it all comes back around, it looks as though he's kind of just jealous of Pharma's hustle, right? <laughs> They've been successful in their shakedown, and he wants a piece of that pie. He wants all the loot. He wants all the power. He wants all the control. And that, that's all fair enough. That was probably the best bit of this issue because um, it kind of zigged where I was expecting it to zag. Um, sticking with some good points, let's let's talk a little bit more about good points. Uh, the cartel is showing uh, a little bit of humility in the basement, allowing Angel to feed her children. That was pretty nice. Because, I mean... I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's human and mutant and, you know, every, every you know, bit and piece here. But at the end of the day, they're all just people, right? I mean, who's to say that poor dead Andre or poor dead the other guy didn't have families and children of their own, right? So humility was, uh, is, was, was, in, was on display, and I like that. Uh, Manon and Maxime, oof. The scenes with, <laughs> with them controlling those two cartelis. They were horrifying. Um, I thought that was super cool. I, I don't know these characters from anywhere besides the, the previous issue, so I might have to track down some more stuff that they're in because <laughs> that was pretty cool. And they don't seem they don't seem heroic, you know. I, I wonder like, I don't know where they were introduced. Were they introduced as good guys? I don't know. I mean, they seem very, very powerful and they seem kind of evil. <laughs> So uh, maybe after uh, Dawn of X shakes out, we will uh, we'll see where they land, uh, where their constitution lies, right? I'm also intrigued by learning whatever uh, DOX or Docs magazine might, uh, might turn out to be here. I wonder if it's going to be like a TMZ for mutants or something. I think that could be interesting. Um, I mean, we've played with the concept of mutant as celebra- celebrity, like... Even going back to like Ecstatics um, and, and X Force before that, and it's been a little while I think since we've uh, really touched on this. Though again, I have been away, so it could be something very very common. But uh, I, I think that could be a fun angle to uh, to play with, having you know some reporters try to follow them around, try to snap candid pictures. I think that that, that just could be interesting. It it then again it could not be interesting, but I'm willing to uh, give it the benefit of the doubt. Now, how about we talk about Tabitha, Miss Boom Boom? Um, why are we getting so many drunk mutants? Is this supposed to appeal to, like, edgy teenagers or something? It feels just so, so misdirected. Uh, I mean, come on, Marvel. You gotta know that these books are mostly being bought by people in their late 30s and up, right? Come on. And I'd like to think that people in my co- cohort and older are kind of overthinking it's cool to get sloppy-ass drunk. Like... As a, you know, thing I mean, sure, drink if you like Get drunk if you wanna But this whole, like, feeling that mutant drinking equals cool writing Already felt way too try-hard back in Marauders number one Now it just feels lazy Um, again, that's just me Different strokes, different folks But, uh, for me, it just kind of makes me cringe It makes me feel like the writer's trying to be They're trying a little too hard to, to be cool uh, speaking of unpleasant things, let's talk about Sage. Why is she still here? She clearly hates everyone and everything. Like, shouldn't she leave? Shouldn't she go to, like, an uninhabited island somewhere? I mean, it's to the point where I cringe every time I see her because I'm expecting her to be, like, snippy and snarky. It's That's not deep characterization. That's not layers. That's just writing an a-hole. 
<laughs> and that's what Sage feels like here. Um, one more thing here, the art. Definitely a step down. Um, I complained a little bit last issue about how Academy X Flaviano's work looked, but this is like a step down even from that. Um, for seasoned X fans, like if we were to say Flaviano or Flaviano, however you say that, was Joe Majuara, uh, Marco Fila is Roger Cruz. Passably similar at first glance, but when you look close, you can see the wrinkles. You know, you can see where you can see where it is uh, not what you're looking for. Um, still, you know, fine, fine art, but just not what uh, not what we got from Flaviano, and certainly not what we got from Rodriguez. So that is what it is. I feel weird always. I always feel weird talking about art, but uh, here we are, right? Uh, overall, uh, not digging this. <laughs> I'm still not digging this here. And uh, let's see here. I'm going to actually flip through my long box, or my short box full of these unread Dawn of X books here, and I'm going to see what's on the cover of our next issue of New Mutants, just for my own curiosity here. And, uh, uh, well, we got Deathbird on there, so I guess we're going back to the Shi'ar for uh, issue five. So, yay. I guess we'll we'll see how it goes. We'll try to be optimistic. But uh, that's all I got to say about New Mutants number four. But uh, before I let you guys go, let's hop into the mailbag here. We got a couple of letters here. We're going to start with Damien, and he is discussing Fallen Angels number three. He says, I swear if I met Brian Hill, the writer of Fallen Angels, he would tell me that he writes comics but is really a poet. And, uh, you know, I've actually heard a few good things about the first few issues of the Hill run on Batman and the Outsiders that's about to come to a close. Though, while I have all of them, I can't even say that I ever opened one, so I I couldn't say how good or bad it was. Um, I'm a little morbidly curious to see. Uh, I know Rajal Ghul's on the cover of a lot of those books, and I hate Rajal Ghul. <laughs> that is just... He's one of my pet peeve, boring characters in uh, in the Batman Rogue Gallery. I can't deal with Rajal Ghul or Rajal Ghul stories, but uh, yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder how how that goes. Uh, back to Damien, he says, "I really question the point of this series. As you say, they keep repeating the same few plot points. At the end of issue three, we're back at the first panel of issue one, and yep." We're getting the same shocking revelations in every issue. Uh, I'm really not sure how this sort of thing even makes it to print. I mean, we're not even getting, like, any clever lampshading with X-23 saying, like, you know, duck went on. We already knew that, you know? Nothing nothing to even say, like, to, to even just draw attention to the fact that it's like, yeah, we're, we're getting the same information again. I guess we're, we're confirming it, but it's the same thing. Uh, Damien continues, the art is improving and feels less generic. And the cover to issue three is amazing. And yes, that cover is beautiful. The cover is excellent. And uh, I never really had a problem with Kudransky's art, though for an X book, it does feel out of place. I, it, he did a he did a run probably within the past year or two on Spawn, an extended run, I believe, because I think I might be one of the only like ten people still ordering Spawn <laughs> every month. Uh, I I don't read it. I haven't read it in a while, but I still get it because I got a soft spot for it. Uh, Kudransky's work would fit a lot better on Spawn, and, and and it did, in fact, fit a lot better on Spawn. Here, it just, it's, it's good. It just doesn't feel, it does doesn't fit an X book, in my opinion. Uh, Damien continues. I worry by the end of this series that we'll think it could have been one issue of Giant Size X Men instead of six issues. 
And I'll, I'll up the ante on that. I worry that this series might have been better suited for the first two-thirds of an X-Force annual <laughs> with, with an Obnoxio the Clown backup or something. Really not much meat on these bones here. I'm thinking we read... Let's give Marvel the benefit of the doubt and say there are 20 pages per issue. Um, so we're up to page 60. And uh, what we learned in these 60 pages could have filled a dozen, maybe? I mean, it's just so samey. It's so repetitive. It's there's a lot of wasted, a lot of wasted uh, paginal real estate here. Um, Damien continues. As for the issue threes, I have a real difficulty ranking them. Marauders is definitely the best, followed by X Force, and Fallen Angels is the worst. But the rest all fall into a blur of averageness. And that's true, a hundred percent true. I agree. I actually had a difficult time sorting them in my head myself. Um, and to be completely honest, I struggled a little bit just trying to remember what actually happened in each issue. Um, the only ones I could actually pinpoint into position are the same ones you did. Um, Marauders was a, was a hard one, X-Force was a hard two, and Fallen Angels was a dead hard six. Um, the other three, they were just there. I mean, Excalibur was underwhelming, X-Men kinda sucked, New Mutants kinda sucked, um... Yeah. <laughs> the number threes were rough. Uh, I, I want to say the number fours are a little bit better so far, but uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. Uh, we haven't gotten to Fallen Angels yet, so who knows. Uh, Damien continues. I remember you saying way back when you hit the, hit the midpoint of Hoxpox that you were afraid it was going to hit that part four of six wall where the story treads water. I feel like we're in that zone now. And yeah. Yeah, and it's one of those things that I wish I never noticed when I was reading. Like, a lot of this comes from reading uh, post-Jemis Casada. You know, um, after Bob Harris left, Jemis and Casada came in, and that's when the writing for the trade, in my opinion, really, really kicked off, because back then they would start putting, like, the story titles on the cover. And they would, be, like, you'd have an issue of X Uncanny X-Men, and on the cover would be like, the Draco, part one of six. So you knew that there were going to be six parts. And it kind of trained you to, like, kind of expect the certain certain story beats. It's very, very formulaic because it's very, very manufactured and artificial. The stories went from being organic, and if they take two parts, they take two parts. If they take eight parts, they take eight parts. If they take 15 parts, they take 15 parts to, nope, everything has to fit six. So if you have an issue and a half worth of story, you got to stretch that sucker to six. If you've got 12 issues of story, well, we're breaking the stories into, into two halves. You're doing sixes, damn it. And when you get to that, you know, like Captain America, Ice, part four of six, or the Draco, part four of six, you knew that you were not going to get anything <laughs> in that issue. And it, like, it makes you think... It's kind of like discovering how magic tricks are done, right? You can never really look at them the same way again. You begin to see all of the attempts of sleight of hand, and you start to notice every nuance and everything that's supposed to distract you. Because writing for the trade, whether Marvel wants to admit it or not, does exist. It does. I mean, th their friends at DC admitted as much. They said, hey, writing for the trade's a thing. Uh, it's, and it's really hard for us to unsee that. Uh, the tricks, the tropes, the shortcuts used, they're apparent. And... Uh, I mean, yeah, we're we're hitting that wall pretty hard here in uh, in these early Dawn of X books here. It's as though uh, it feels like we're already treading water with uh, 
over half of these books. Um, which, you know, from a creative standpoint, begs the question of why they flooded the damn shelves with six six, six books all, all at once. Um, I mean, financially we know why, commercially we know why, bean countingly we know why, but as a creative endeavor, it feels, it feels like, uh, I don't know, it's, it just feeds into the glut and the, uh, and the feeling that we are just kind of treading water. We're just waiting. We're just waiting for something to happen and not much is. So, uh, We'll take it as we get it, I guess, right? <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for writing in, Damien. Uh, next, we have Al Sedano, and he is talking about House of X number four. And he says, look at this, three days in a row. And I've also ordered volumes one and two of the Dawn of X trade. So I'm here, I'm here at least until the end of those. First of all, thanks for the trip down memory lane with mentioning alchemy. Now, alchemy is a character that was introduced back in X-Factor 41... Um, from a contest Marvel ran. You know, uh, this was a create-your-own-mutant contest. And I don't remember how he came up in conversation in the House of X episode, but uh, I do have have a soft spot for Alchemy. Uh, (laughs) Al continues, Damn, I remember when Marvel had that create-your-own-mutant contest. I wonder if we'll be seeing him at some point. Considering they're bringing back WizKid, anything's possible. And it totally wouldn't surprise me to see Alchemy make a comeback. Um, I mean, it really... It wouldn't surprise me to have him show up in a very important role. You know, he'll just be the most powerful guy. I kind of, and I could be, I could be projecting, right? But uh, I feel like creators like pulling these obscure characters out of the woodwork to get themselves cred with the longtime fans. So like having Alchemy show up, I think that would, uh, I think that would like check a lot of boxes for some people, myself included. Uh, It reminds me of uh, that, you know, that one page in, that awful Heroes in Crisis, where uh, Tom King brought up the Protector, you know, from the new Teen Titans drug awareness issues, and it's and you know everybody kind of squeed that like, oh, we haven't seen him in forever, and yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, a year from now, half a comics Twitter might have alchemy avatars. Who knows, right? Um, personally, I'm still waiting for the return of Equus. Equus was a I don't know how much I don't know how much crossover there is between um, this show and my blog, but uh, I mentioned the other day I uh, covered the uh, Uncanny X Men at the State Fair of Texas, which was a Dallas Times Tribune or Dallas uh, Dallas newspaper. Uh, it was a freebie that came in the Sunday paper, and it was a full you know full length comic book, and in it we met the centaur mutant named Equus. Uh, short for uh, equestrian, probably, but I'm waiting for his return here. That, that's when I'll be impressed. Bring me Equus, and bring me Ice Cream also. Bring me Ice Cream, who, who I will be writing about in the next couple days. <laughs> You'll see some stuff about the mutant known as Ice Cream. Uh, back to Al. He says, I like the text pages in the beginning of this issue. Very fitting to list all those who had gone before or- Orcus with their mutant hate. Though I do agree that the ones at the end were a waste. I loved how they call the Scarlet Witch a pretender. Ouch. I wonder how they feel about her brother. And I actually, you know, I'm, I'm kind of at a disadvantage here. I, are the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, are they still mutants? Are they inhumans or are they, were they miracles? Is that the, the, the lame thing that they tried to do to, so they could use them in the movies? I don't, I don't know how that went. Uh, I, are they related to Magneto anymore? I, I don't even know. 
and, uh, and frankly, I don't. I wouldn't even know which sixteen Avengers books to buy to find out. So, uh, I guess that's just one thing that I'll have to leave to the uh, to the theologians or something. Uh, Al continues. This issue was pretty intense. It was like Days of Future Past issue, but taking place in the current time. I can see your criticism about them not acting too too upset about the deaths of Archangel and Husk, but it makes sense. These are all veteran X Men. I know that they knew there was no time for the luxury of grief. If it had some been if if it had been some of the newer kids, on the other hand, I would have been surprised if they acted this way. I mean, the deaths and the lack of consideration for them is going to make a ton more sense given what's to come in Chapter Nine of Hoxpox. So uh, you'll you'll know, <laughs> you'll get that. Uh, though that 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 big old shoe is going to drop. Uh, that said, I'd still expect I don't know a sad glance or something from the vets. I, I mean, they they were just so aloof uh, to the to the deaths here. It's just like. It was like, you know, when something bad happens in an episode of Seinfeld and Jerry just goes, that's a shame. You know, it's like nobody cared. It, it, like, you'd, like maybe maybe struggle with a tear in the eye. I, I don't know. Uh, speaking of the, oh, back to Ali says, speaking of this team, I'm pretty sure the Monet is Penance thing had been established before. I wasn't surprised at all that when that happened, though I didn't realize she could still turn into Penance. Not sure if I just didn't know about that or if it's new. And I kind of just chalked that up to something I couldn't remember. Um, I, I kind of gave up trying to make sense of it, and I just assumed it's something that happened before and I just forgot. Uh, but then again, when you get to New Mutants number one, we're going to see Monet and the Penance twins. Again, though, that might just be something I can't remember reading an explanation for, too. <laughs> that might be something that is totally simple and totally makes sense. Um I think that might have all come to light during that all-women X-Men volume. Uh, one of the Marvel Nows, where it was uh, just a volume, unad- unadjectiveless X-Men, and it was all uh, all women. And I think I only made that about two issues into it before figuring out it was just like another X-Book to clog the shelves. There was really not a whole lot special about it. Um, I was unimpressed with a lot of the stuff that came out then. But uh, I... Gotta assume maybe that's when... Because I think that's when she left uh, X-Factor to return to the X-Men. When X-Factor was the, you know, the the investigation... Uh, the detective club, whatever it was. Um, X-Factor Investigations, there we go. Um, that's when Monet came back to, you know, the X-Teams proper. So I wonder if that's where they put it. I might have to... Might have to give that a flip through one of these days if uh, if I can discover several more hours of the day. Uh, Al continues. Also, I think Mystique bears watching. I'm not sure where they're going with her yet, but some of the things she does are either odd or shady. First, she's uh, the one covering up Husk's body. I wonder if and if uh, I wonder. It, I'm sorry. If anyone was not going to care about the deaths, it's Mystique. There's also the scene right before she dies. When Cyclops tries to contact her, she doesn't respond right away. What was she doing? And you know, Mystique really hasn't gotten all that much play, as I thought she would in this uh, post-Hoxpox Doc's world. Um, I figured, especially with her reasoning for joining the Quiet Council, that we'd be getting a little bit more from her, even this early on. Though... I mean, when you get to the end of Hoxpox, there will be some, there'll be some discussion about Mystique and some of the things that Mystique wants, you know. And I suppose maybe due to her ties with Destiny, uh, Mystique might be like a story trigger that's going to be pulled closer to, I don't know, whatever the next reboot's going to be after Dawn of X, um, because I think that could 
send shockwaves through Krakoa, and uh, that might even bring us to an endgame for this uh, for this you know blip in history. So, so Mystique definitely one to watch for, definitely. Uh, Al wraps up with finally that speech Mother Mold gives about the Titans. I think she was comparing the mutants to the Titans of myth, humans to the Olympian gods, and Sentinels to humans. The humans stole fire from the gods and eventually didn't need them anymore. Kind of fits with what we're seeing in the future. They don't need the humans anymore. And yeah, that's that's a hundred percent it. That is uh, definitely what it was. They were going for. It was just a little bit too flowery for me. Um, in the reading there, it felt. It felt kind of like it insisted upon itself. It wanted to sound a little bit more, um, a little bit more poignant and flowery than I felt maybe it needed to. Uh, I don't know that whole you know, baffle them with BS sort of thing is is how I kind of took it. But no, no, your your explanation makes perfect perfect sense. So uh, thank you so much for writing in. Thank you so much for uh, sticking around. And uh, I think that's uh, where we'll put a pin in it for today. Uh, Thank you all for uh, listening, and if uh, you'd like to get a hold of me, you could do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. Uh, you can find the show notes at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. Uh, we got xlaps.chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. We got 90s X-Men on Facebook. We got the Tumble page on Tumble. <laughs> it's a, I think it's x-lapsed. You might be able to find it. I, I just, uh, you know, I typed... TU in my browser and it brings it up So I don't think that'll work for everybody though So uh, you might have to actually Search for X-Labs But uh, if you use the Tumble machine You'll you'll yeah, you'll find it I guess I don't know <laughs> The complete audio archives are at ChrisandReggie.Podbean.com A lot of noise there for your ears And uh, hopefully some of it will be enjoyable for you um, I don't usually ask But uh, hey if you know anybody Who's, in, who's X-curious here Uh let them know this show's out there. Maybe they'll maybe they'll dig it, or maybe they'll uh, want to throw a brick through your window for subjecting them to me. But uh, <laughs> if you're digging the show and if you wanted to spread the word, I would greatly greatly appreciate it. But uh, I think that's where we'll end it for today. Uh, just one more giant thank you to everyone for uh, sharing your time and sharing your ears with me. It really means the world. So uh, till next time when we talk X Force number four, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.